Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This episode is called Love Under Fire. It's a story about a New Zealand army medic who served in Afghanistan at a time and in a place that was probably as dangerous as any for a New Zealand soldier in Afghanistan. The story was written and will be read here by Eugene Bingham, who joins me now. Hello, Eugene. Kia ora, Michael. I've given uh, listeners a top line, but tell us a bit more about uh, Love Under Fire. Yeah, it's the story of David Foote, who, as you mentioned, was an army nurse with the New Zealand military. He served in Afghanistan in 2012 during New Zealand's deployment there. And he was involved in what became known as the Battle of Baghak, which was a very dangerous firefight in which two New Zealanders lost their lives. And the story really is of David's experiences that day and what he and his colleagues went through in the aftermath. And as we will hear in the story, it was a long time coming. You you actually reporting and writing the story. Tell us how it came about. Yeah, it took a long time to uncover it and then to be able to sit down with David and, and tell it. The background is that uh, I started investigating the Battle of Bag Hack with colleagues from the Stuff Circuit investigative team back in 2013 initially, actually. And then in 2017, we produced The Valley, which was a documentary about the Battle of Bag Hack and other aspects of New Zealand's deployment to Afghanistan. But even in that process, there was lots that we didn't come across. And it wasn't until last year, 2020, that we heard about what David Foote had done that day and the remarkable work that he'd done on the battlefield. Once we did hear about it, it took a few months to be able to convince David to be able to sit down with me and tell me his story, and that's eventually what we got to do. And to that point, we will actually hear from David in this episode, Eugene. Just set that up for us. How's that going to work? Yeah, that's right, Michael. As you'll hear in the story, David ended up writing some letters home to his family. And when I caught up with him, he agreed to read out one of those letters. It's actually to his daughter. So you'll hear David reading extracts from one of those letters throughout the story. Thanks, Eugene. In fact, the first voice we'll hear in this story is David reading from that letter. And then you'll hear Eugene himself. This is Love Under Fire. My dearest daughter, I know that because you're reading this, something bad has happened to me in Afghanistan. In the dark of an Afghanistan night, the crescent moon casting a sliver of light on the mountains outside, Captain David Foote sat in his room in a military base, trying to think of the right words to say. Tears streamed down his face. How could he possibly explain to those back home what he was feeling? The next day, he was due back out on patrol, squeezed into a light armoured vehicle with his New Zealand army crew. Given everything that had happened over the past few weeks, the bloodshed, the carnage and fatalities, Foote knew there was a very real risk he could be killed. He decided to write letters to his family to tell them how much he loved them, just in case this was the last chance he had. Foote, a registered nurse, was on a six-month deployment to the Bamiyan province in central Afghanistan. It was a mission he'd wanted to be on since rejoining the army two years earlier. But in recent weeks, the danger had escalated exponentially. On August 4, 2012, Foote was thrust into the middle of the deadliest battle New Zealand regular soldiers had seen since the Vietnam War. That day, 
He and other members of the contingent's medical team acted heroically, saving lives. Foote had put himself in direct danger numerous times, grabbing his medical kit and darting through gunfire to rescue and treat casualties. Then, on August 19, one of the medics, Lance Corporal Jacinda Baker, was killed alongside two colleagues when a massive roadside bomb destroyed their vehicle. In a matter of weeks, five New Zealand soldiers and at least 14 Afghan security forces were dead. All of this weighed on Foote's mind as he wrote home, one letter for his wife, one each for his parents and mother-in-law, and separate letters to his young son and daughter. With the moon creeping across the sky, a reminder that the night was passing by, he tried to compose himself as he wrote to his nine-year-old daughter. Now 17, she agreed that Stuff could share the letter, as long as we didn't use her name. There's been some fighting over here, and we're not so safe as we were. And I wanted to write to you a final letter to tell you how much I love you. Kiwi Base, the headquarters for Foot and about 160 other New Zealanders on deployment, was on the outskirts of the central Afghanistan town of Bamiyan. For centuries it was famous for giant Buddha statues carved into the mountains overlooking the town. Then the Taliban blew them up, a cultural atrocity to go alongside the human carnage they wrought on the people of Afghanistan. In the aftermath of the September 11, 2001 terror attacks in the United States, American-led forces swept the Taliban from power. Which is how New Zealand soldiers first ended up in Bamiyan in 2003, sent by then Prime Minister Helen Clark to help with the rebuild, forming what was known as a provincial reconstruction team. The Kiwis served in six-month rotations, and most returned home safely. But by 2012, the northeast of the province was a menacing threat. Afghan and New Zealand forces were coming under attack. Foot's contingent, known as Crib 20, would suffer more losses than any other. On August 4, 2012, the New Zealanders fought in what became known as the Battle of Baghak, during which two soldiers were shot dead. It became embroiled in controversy, raising questions of why they were there in the first place and what actually happened. A court of inquiry looked into the circumstances of the battle, and in 2017, a stuffed circuit documentary, The Valley, raised questions about who fired first and whether, in the confusion, shots were exchanged between the New Zealanders and their Afghan allies. I was the producer of that documentary and had spent years investigating the battle. With members of the Stuff Circuit investigative team, I had been to Afghanistan, even travelling to the battle site and interviewing members of the Afghan security forces who were there that day. But no one from New Zealand's defence forces had ever been allowed to talk to us. And so, while much of the documentary focused on what decisions had been made back in Wellington or by leaders of the contingent, there were things which happened on the ground which remained a mystery. One was the story of David Foote, and when we finally heard about it, it seemed astonishing. Equally astonishing, it seemed, was that he'd never been decorated for what he did that day, displaying courage which, years on, colleagues still marvel at. The day you were born was the second happiest day of my life, second only to the day I married your beautiful mother. What a beautiful, happy and bubbly baby you were, and I was really so proud of you. 
In July 2020, six years after first asking defence for an interview with a member of Crib 20, I got to meet David Foote. A warm smile broke out on the 50-year-old's face as he extended his hand to greet me. He's now Defence's principal nursing officer. His camouflage uniform is adorned with a prominent badge on the shoulder saying Defence Health. Foote has since been promoted to Major and has completed a command course with the US Marines. He's a serious military man. His brown boots march in the footsteps of three generations of soldiers. My great-grandfather was a chap called Stanley Foote, he says. He served in the First World War and at Gallipoli. A member of the Otago Battalion, Stanley Foote landed at Anzac Cove on April 25, 1915, and was wounded in action about two weeks later. Both David Foote's grandfathers served in the Second World War, and his father Stan, named after the Anzac veteran, was initially conscripted, then rejoined as a commissioned officer in the Territorial Forces serving for almost 20 years. Born in Manawatu, David Foote grew up in Ashurst and loved the outdoors. He joined Cubs and Boys Brigade, where he enjoyed first aid lessons and spent weekends and holidays with cousins at a nearby farm, riding motorbikes, eeling and hunting. His father Stan says David was always compassionate and kind. Stray and orphaned animals were frequently brought home to receive TLC from him, says Stan. We always thought his career choice would either be in the vet area or healthcare. For young David, the pull of the military was strong, and he knew his destiny from the age of about 13. I wanted to be a nurse, but I wanted to be in the army, so I kind of smashed those two together. At 17, he signed up as an army medic. He loved it, advancing through the ranks to become a staff sergeant. He served at a United States military hospital in the Middle East during Operation Desert Storm in 1991. Eventually, he decided he wanted to qualify as a nurse and received a Defence Force scholarship to study at AUT, where he met his wife, also a nurse. After 13 years of service, Foote wanted to try being a nurse in the civilian world for a while. He moved to Auckland and worked in the emergency department at North Shore Hospital, at a medical centre in West Auckland, and teaching at AUT. But eventually, the call of the military was too strong again, and he returned this time going through officer training school. My motivations for coming back, he says, were I'd tracked what had happened after 9-11 and I'd wanted to deploy to Afghanistan ever since I knew we were sending people there. Hi, I'm Michael Wright, host of The Long Read. If you're an advertiser and you like what you're hearing, you could help us keep making podcasts like this one. Thousands of people listen to Stuff Podcasts every day. So, if you'd like to be part of one of New Zealand's biggest and best podcast platforms, go to advertise.stuff.co.nz audio and get in touch with us. Back to the show. I remember holding you in my arms and wanting to protect you forever. You've grown more beautiful and more special every day of your life. And I love you more and more, so much so that I can't explain. Within two years, Foot was flying over the Hindu Kush mountains, the daunting snow-capped peaks that loom over Bamiyan and make for a stunning landing at its small airfield. Initially, things were relatively peaceful. He enjoyed getting out on patrol, meeting locals, spending time at the local orphanage and helping teach youths English. 
everybody in the deployment knew things could become dangerous. There's always that risk, of course, Foote says. And I wasn't naive about that. Everybody knew. But knowing it doesn't mean that you kind of expect it to happen. But then, it did. Two attacks on the Afghan security forces, killing nine people in a matter of days, put everyone on hyper alert. Certainly in my mind, it was, wow, this is getting more serious. And then came August 4, 2012. On that day, Foote was tasked with joining Kiwi Team 1, known as KT-1. Normally it's a medic's role to go out on patrol, rather than the nurse or doctor. But on Crib 20, both Foote and the doctor, Flight Lieutenant Kit Boys, shared the duties. At 4am, Foote was in a KT-1 LAV, or light armoured vehicle, as it headed northeast towards a forward operating base at the village of Duabe, checking the road for explosive devices. Hours later, word arrived that Afghan forces had sustained casualties during an operation near Dawabe. All four New Zealand patrols were sent to help. Coming from the south, KT-1 was instructed to go to the village of Baghak and await further orders. Soon they were called forward. Up the road, New Zealand patrols were in a firefight. In the bowels of the LAV, unable to see outside, Foote didn't really know what was going on, but he could hear enough to figure out how dangerous it was. We got attacked on the way in. Small arms fire, he says. I was under no illusions that there was a firefight going on around me. As they pulled up, a New Zealand casualty, Private Dion Tucker, was spotted lying on the road. He'd been shot in one of the initial exchanges and rolled under a New Zealand vehicle for cover. Unaware Tucker was there, the vehicle moved, leaving him exposed. KT-1 crew commander Sergeant Johnny Duncan, Foote and another soldier jumped out to rescue Tucker. Exactly what happened next is lost to the fog of war. I do remember getting out of the back of the LAV, says Foote, and I knew I was going into a firefight, so I wasn't going to muck around. And I can remember for just the flash of an instant going, I don't know where I'm going. I know some people are going to try and kill me right now. Foot looked around one side of the LAV and couldn't see Tucker. Then he went around the other side and found him. Foot moved forward. I don't remember getting that casualty into the back of the LAV, he says. The next thing I remember is I wanted the casualty on my lap so that I could assess his upper body in my lap and start treatment. As if to underline how dangerous the situation was, Duncan and others involved in the rescue were shot. I'm not a fool, Foote says. I'm not a kid. I knew that I was going out into a firefight and made that conscious decision to go through that. And yeah, thankfully, I'm a fairly small target, so I managed to get away with it. As Foote carried on the work which would save Tucker's life, the LAV pulled back several hundred metres to set up a casualty collection post. That's a place where the injured could be treated and where a helicopter evacuation could be arranged. Foot rushed around, tending to the injured, with the help of combat lifesavers, soldiers trained in advanced first aid. But after about 20 minutes, the casualty collection post itself came under fire. Dust kicked up around them as rounds of gunfire landed nearby, they had to move. 
There was another area behind buildings which would provide cover not far away. But moving the casualties there meant going across open ground at risk of being hit. Despite the danger, Foot helped each of the combat lifesavers carry the stretchers to the safety of the cover behind the building. Foot was aware of how exposed he was, particularly as he prepared to run out for the last casualty who'd sustained critical injuries. He was unlikely to survive. I was behind the shelter, Foot says, and I can remember thinking, if I get shot now, then I'm actually putting myself out there to help save a chap that I'm certain is not going to live, but of course I wanted to get him back. When Foot got to the critically wounded soldier, another soldier was physically using his body and his body armour to protect the casualty. People really did do themselves and their service and their country proud, Foot says. By the end of that long day, once American helicopters had come to rescue the wounded and dead, 12 New Zealanders and Afghans had been treated by Foot and his team. Two New Zealand soldiers were dead, Lance Corporal Praley Dara and Lance Corporal Rory Malone. Like Foot, Malone had a family connection to Gallipoli. His great-great-grandfather was Lieutenant Colonel William Malone, a hero of the infamous campaign. Rory Malone died after rescuing his injured commander, Major Craig Wilson. At the Battle of Baghak, two offspring of Gallipoli veterans were heroes that day. Hi, I'm Carol Hirschfeld, the head of video and audio at Stuff. If you're enjoying our Long Reads podcast, how about contributing to the Stuff Supporter Program? You can contribute any amount you choose, and you can do it just once, or monthly, or annually. Direct support from people like you helps us produce the kind of journalism you're listening to right now. Go to stuff.co.nz forward slash support. Back in Manawatu, Foote's parents received an unexpected phone call one afternoon. It was David. Stan Foote says he'll never forget. He said, something has happened here, it's bad, but I'm okay. Please let the family know. That was about it. Later, when we heard the details and understood the extent of what he and the rest of Crib 20 coped with that day, we realised how great the danger had been. It was a sobering moment. David Foote says he doesn't remember being frightened at the time. I wasn't scared. I parked that off to one side. I knew the danger. I was certainly aware of that because I was working with casualties that had just been shot. But I don't remember feeling frightened, just focused. Many people's feelings were suspended that day. In the aftermath, Foote thought a lot about the combat lifesavers who had helped him and just had to carry on as the deployment continued. The next day, they're out patrolling again, he says. Those guys didn't truly get a chance to grieve for their friends and their comrades until way, way down the track. It wasn't until later, Foote says, that he thought about how some of those soldiers had been caring for their friends. That was really, really challenging for them, and it's something I hadn't really thought about before. What if it's their best mate? What's the right thing to do? Everyone had just had to get on with their jobs. Then... On August 19, another tragedy. Foot was away, temporarily working at the US military's Bagram base, when an American soldier came running up to him. 
three New Zealanders had been killed in a massive explosion. Among them was his health team colleague, medic Jacinda Baker. Foote is still affected by it. I never even thought about what it would feel like if we lost one of our own team, he says. Two months down the track, when we arrived home, it was a feeling like we'd left the injured and deceased over there. It was horrible. Back home, Foot moved into a new job at the Army's Waudu camp, but he had trouble coping. One of the doctors I was working with pulled me aside and said, You're not yourself. You're lashing out at people. What's going on? What can we do to help you? Foot was referred to a clinical psychologist and found to be suffering from adjustment disorder. Others from Crib 20 have suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, but Foot says that's not the whole story. It was certainly a life-changing event, and there's some pretty horrible feelings and thoughts associated with it that are traumatic. But at the same time, I think I'm a better person, a better father, a better husband, a better health professional, and a better service person for having had that experience. I think that most veterans are. Yes, it's a negative experience, but there were some positives too. Please work hard, because I know that you'll shape the world around you. Now that I've gone, I'll not be there to see you face the challenges that life delivers you. But know that I'll be watching over you and loving you more than ever before. As well as the trauma, Crib 20 members also had to deal with the controversies surrounding the Battle of Baghak. I asked Foote what he made of that. Look, he says, I can only tell the story from where I sat, what I saw and experienced. It was such a complex situation. The soldier as diplomat. Still, why was he talking to me, the producer of a documentary which contained some of the allegations about the Baghak controversy? I'd love for New Zealand to hear some of the things that went on that they haven't heard about yet, says Foote. And actually, I think as New Zealanders, they've got a right to hear about it. Our country put us over there. The government put us over there. People have got a right to hear what happened. If only he and I had had a chance to speak earlier. In 2015, six soldiers from Crib 20 were recognised for their roles in the battle, including a posthumous gallantry award for Malone. Foot wasn't one of them. In February 2020, the RSA honoured Foot, saying, We recognise the bravery of David Foot. It drew plenty of comments, and even speculation he was in line for a high honour. As far as stuff can tell, that is not the case. Asked for comment in July 2020, the Chief of Army, Major General John Boswell, said, A number of soldiers performed with distinction that day at Bag Hack. Major Foot clearly one of them. Whenever our soldiers put themselves in harm's way and serve with distinction, all New Zealanders can reflect with pride on what these men and women do in service of our nation. Official reports after the deployment noted what he'd done too. Captain Foote showed exceptional bravery by moving forward and treating a casualty while taking heavy fire, said one. He was already well respected prior to this, but he has earned increased respect for his actions during the battle. The Crib 20 doctor, Flight Lieutenant Kit Boys, told
told stuff foot cared for seriously injured people that day. It's my belief, says Boys, that two of those people would have died if it wasn't for his treatment. His actions are engraved on the hearts of the people he helped. Stanfoot says he was struck by the courage that his son and others displayed, placing themselves in harm's way to save critically wounded comrades. I found myself thinking how fortunate his seriously injured comrades were to have someone with his knowledge and experience caring for them. David Foote is clearly uncomfortable hearing the praise heaped upon him, and he gets awkward when people talk about his missing out on medals or other recognition. What I'd say to them, he says, and to anybody else, is recognition is not an entitlement. I can never sit here and say I feel aggrieved because I wasn't recognised in some way, because there's no entitlement for me to feel that way. I would say I didn't save anybody's life because it was a team effort. I can put my hand on my heart and say I believe that our team achieved the best possible outcome for every casualty that we received out there, Afghans as well as Kiwis. I'm proud of that. The night that he wrote the letters, sitting in his room in Afghanistan, David Foote sealed up each one, wrote a short covering letter, and sent them all to his father. He was asking me to hold these letters and give them to his family should he not safely return, Stan Foote says. In the event he did make it back, the letters were to be destroyed. But a few months after David returned, Stan Foote approached his son. He hadn't destroyed the letters. Stan said to David, why don't you let people read them? And so he did. It's over to them what they did with them, says David Foote. As he prepared for the story, he sat down with his daughter and together they read the letter he had written to her. And just like the night he wrote it, there were tears. But he's home, safe, and his family knows exactly how he feels about them. I love you, my beautiful little girl, and I'm deeply sorry that I departed from your life so early. You're proud, Daddy. P.S. I'll be waiting for you in heaven. That was Love Under Fire on The Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Eugene Bingham. This episode was mixed by Sam Scannell and produced by me, Michael Wright. Stuff's podcast director is Adam Dudding. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.